So we're in Genesis 26, and we want to look at the 11, first 11 verses. Now, um, judging by my notes, we, we might get out early. But judging by every time I say that, we're probably not going to get out early, right? I think that's how that works. So um, let's read these 11 verses. Genesis 26. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring of the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. I was talking earlier uh, with, with some who, who got here um, a little early that um, we were talking about uh, the habit some of us have of talking to ourselves out loud. I, I, don't, I think we all talk to ourselves, right? But, but I don't know if you do it out loud. Um, and I do it. Uh, my wife hates it. She absolutely despises it because, well, clearly, clearly she's nosy because she thinks she has to know everything that I am saying. I don't know what is so difficult about this, that if I say something that I intend for you to hear, I will see to it that you are part of that conversation and at a volume by which you can hear and understand me, right? If I say something at a low level with my head down or away from you or something like that, there is a good chance you are not part of that conversation. I don't know what's so difficult about this. But my wife thinks that if she is within earshot, clearly she was meant to hear it, right? And, and I'm real bad about talking to uh, myself, and I get it from my father, who is 10 times worse than me. Uh, my dad, of course, is he's a tinkerer. He's a mechanic. He, he's someone who, who works with his hands, very task-oriented. I'm task-oriented. And so he is always tearing something apart, fixing things, always busy, he, he can never stop. And so he is always talking to himself. Um, and my mother at, at times does well at ignoring it, but at other times she, she doesn't because at times she's like my wife where she thinks she is part of the conversation, right? And it, it's obvious to me that he's talking to himself because after all, he's talking about carburetors and other car stuff that I don't understand because I'm not a car. I'm a theologian, pastor, not a, not a mechanic. I don't know nothing what he's talking about, right? And, and so I, I laugh because I've, I'm, I'm becoming him, right? And, and in many ways, I, I see my dad and I think uh, that is a shorter version of what I will be at, at his age, right? And I've warned my wife, right? You need to know that what awaits your future, you, you see now in, in my father, right? And there is something about that, that uh, you can look at your parents. Uh, you, know, you can deny it all you want to, right? When you're a teenager, you'll think, I'll raise my kids differently. I won't be anything like my parents. By your mid to late 20s, you just surrender to it, right? 
especially if you have kids. You know, the first time you, you say something your parents always said, you, you, you repent in bitter tears and ashes and you cry for weeks. Eventually, you just accept, I am becoming them, right? And I think eventually you accept that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that uh, I am turning in, in, into my father. Well, one of the things you see here is that in reading the story, if it sounds familiar, it is supposed to. Isaac is almost a mere image of his father, Abraham. There's nothing we read here that we haven't, in one sense, already read. And this is an example when critics come to the Bible. They see repetition and they, they think, see there, the Bible isn't the written word of God. It's a uh, bunch of people wrote stuff and it got put down. Eventually we called it the Bible. Um, and, and certainly I think there's an editorial process to much of the Bible. But here, if, if we read it right, the writer knows that we've read the story before. He knows he's told the story before. And really the only difference is the main character of the story. In fact, I think I can prove it to you there in verse 1. Notice there's a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, right? In other words, he said this story is going to sound really, really familiar. It starts with a famine, and then there's, there's a promise, and then there's you know, the lie about this, you know, my wife is my sister and all, all that sort of stuff. So, so right from the beginning, the writer says you need to know you've read the story before. And it has all the same major plot points with it. And that is the central point of the story. Like Abraham, so goes Isaac. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, in verse 1, we see a reference to a famine. And uh, this word famine has only been used one other time in Genesis thus far. And that story goes all the way back to Genesis 12 when... Um, well, I tested it earlier and it worked... Uh, Oh, Don, I did test it, I promise. You were sitting there when I did it. Uh, in Genesis 12, if, 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 if we were to go back, you remember that the Abraham story essentially begins in Genesis 12, right? He's introduced at the end of 11, the genealogy. But chapter 12, it really begins. And two things happen. One, God uh, signs a covenant with Abraham that he will bless him with land and lineage. And then we immediately get the story where Abraham goes out of his way. That's not even the verse I want anyway, so sorry about that. Um, so, but then Abraham goes out of his way uh, to violate that covenant, or at least to put it at risk. So God says, uh, through you, I'll, I'll bless you, and you will be the father of many nations. You will possess this land that you're sojourning in, all that sort of stuff. Then Abraham finds that there's a famine. This is Genesis 12, verse 10, I think. There's a famine in the land, and he flees to Egypt. And it's down there that he tells everybody, Sarah is my sister. Right? So notice what you have here in verse 1. There's a famine in the land. This is the only now the second time the word has been used. And to be clear, this is not the same famine as the one that Abraham went to. So, and then notice what follows in verse 1. The, the renewal of the Abrahamic covenants. Now, in the Abraham story, you get the covenant, then you get the famine. Here, it's famine interrupted by the covenant, then you get the sister narrative. So it is almost bit by bit, with a few changes, but bit by bit, what it is we got in Genesis 12. You may recall that Abraham did this on two occasions. The first occasion, he went down to Egypt, said his wife is his sister. The second occasion, he went to a town called Gerar, where there was a guy named Abimelech, whom he said, Sarah is my sister. Well, guess what happens here in Genesis 26? There is a famine in the land, and Notice he went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. I mean, it's, it's repetition. 
I mean, it's, it's almost annoying, isn't it? You're like, well, I've read this story. Like, skip tr- this track, okay? Uh, and that's, that's, that's you know, the writer doesn't want us to do that. The writer wants us to see this repetition as part of the point of the passage. Well, we mentioned Abimelech there in verse one. His name means my father is king. Um, I started Ruth uh, at the capital. And the husband of, of Naomi is Elimelech. Eli Melech, if you will. And so A-B, Ab, or Av, means father. L means God. So Elimelech is my God is king. Abimelech is my father is king. Now, a lot of people want to know, is this the same Abimelech as Abraham dealt with a few chapters ago? And that is a big debate. Uh, I lean towards no. Um, Some suggest that the name Abimelech is a, a title that all the kings of Gerar would have had, much like Caesar or Pharaoh. In fact, there is a dynasty of Pharaohs that they all went by the name of Ramesses, right? So, so that, that gets pretty confusing. Ramesses one, two, three, eight thousand, right? That, that does make things kind of complicated. Um, I'm sure if you ever did family history, you, you, there's, there's a common name in that family. For us, it's William. Uh, my brother is named William. My dad's named William. His dad's named uh, Charles William. His dad was named William. His dad was named William. The earliest... Um, the second oldest, earliest McDaniel we can find is a William McDaniel from like 1800, something like that. Um, and before him is a John Franklin. I don't know what to do with that. But, um, and even that's a bit sketchy. Anyway, so, so Abimelech, I, I don't think, there's multiple Abimelechs. One shows up later in Judges. This obviously isn't the same Abimelech, but he's got the same name. Uh, and the idea of my father is king makes sense in light of um, um, you know, a monarchy or, or, or a leadership by which you inherit the authority from your father. And so it's a reminder to yourself you are, you are carrying on a tradition, an authority that you inherited, right? That, that, that makes sense, at least, at least to me. Um, but with that said, what we get in verse 2 to 6 is the renewal of the Abrahamic covenants. And so if you took Genesis 12, 1 to 4, and then you took, I think it's Genesis 15 where that is repeated, and maybe even 18, uh, and then jump over to Genesis 26, you're going to see the same overlap, the same language. Um, and so um, notice, first of all, this is a theophany. By that, we mean that the Lord physically appears to uh, Isaac. So it isn't a, a voice up in the clouds, a uh, email, uh, first thing in the morning. It's rather God appears phys- in some physical form uh, with him. Let me, let me show you how, how this works. This is common. Go back to Genesis 12. This is right when you have the uh, covenant and then the famine, right? The Lord appeared to Abram, to your offspring, I will give this land. Well, what, is, what, is, what happens here? It's the same thing. The Lord appears and promises this will be your land. Uh, Genesis 17, Abraham was 99 years old. Um, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me, be blameless. So he's going to renew that, that covenant. Um, two more, Exodus 18, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. We, we've talked about the trees. So he sat by the door of the tent. So this is where uh, it's, it's the Lord with two angels. Um, and it's, uh, uh, I think that's when Sarah laughs at him, uh, which, which isn't good. Uh, and then one more example of this. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame. This is, of course, the burning bush narrative. So this is clearly a theophany. Isaac sees the Lord um, in, in a very real sense. And you'll notice there, um, the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. 
dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Now, notice that if he goes on to Egypt, this is a direct repetition of Genesis 12 of Abraham. Right? He says, don't make that mistake. Stay here. Now, why does Isaac not want to stay in the promised land? It's because there's a famine. And Isaac is a nomad. He's a sojourner. He's going to go where there's water and there's food. And where there's famine, there's no food. And he's, he's a wealthy man with a lot of flocks. He's about to be very wealthy later on in this chapter. Very, very wealthy. And it creates some problems. And so he's going to go where there's water. And Egypt has water. right? Because the, the mighty uh, Egypt, uh, Nile River is there. If, if, if the Nile dries up, Ain't no one surviving, okay? That is a bad, bad famine, okay? He's going to go to the Mississippi of, 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 of Africa, right? Mississippi River. He, there is water there. But God says, don't do it. Don't do it. Notice he, he says that he wants, he wants Isaac to dwell in the land. The word dwell literally means to camp or to pitch a tent. It's a reminder, and verse 3 emphasizes this, that he is just a sojourner. The promise that follows is to be received by faith. Isaac has no evidence that the promises of God will be fulfilled. Yes, he's married, and, and you know, I don't know if they know if, if they're infertile or not, but he is a sojourner with little to no authority in this land. And so when God says, I want you to pitch a tent right here, you're a sojourner, and you may never see that I will fulfill this promise, but I need you to receive it by faith. So by staying in, um, staying out of Egypt and in the promised land, that is a act of faith uh, that God will, for one, bless him in the middle of a famine. That's going to be the, what we'll see, Lord willing, next week. That, that, that is exactly what God does. Everyone else is suffering from the famine. Isaac somehow is blessed in the middle of it. It's, it you, you get a garden narrative in the middle of the wilderness, a, a theme we've seen throughout. Um, and so he will pitch his tent. He, he will camp here by faith that God will provide for him in the middle of a severe famine. And so verse three, this picks up with it again. Sojourn this land, there's that language again. I will be with you, I will bless you for to you and your offspring, I will give these lands. Notice land and lineage. And I will establish the oath I swore to Abraham, your father. So all those promises are now given over to Isaac. Clearly Isaac, not Ishmael, is, that's the second time I've done that, uh, is the promised land. Sometimes I miss my old Bible that just flopped open. Um, so, so now we, we have this. Notice one other thing. It's in verse 4, if I can find it. Um, skip two pages. Verse 4. Um, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, same language is given to Abraham, and will give to your offspring all these lands, same thing said Abraham, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Um, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. In one sense, he didn't, right? <laughs> you know, that's, that's one of the problems we've seen like with David and Abraham is that they ain't perfect. They ain't perfect at all. Uh, but that word obey, does anyone have a different verb there for obey? It is the word listen. Abraham listened. Now, I want you to pause. Is there a story in Genesis where you see people listen and it's good, or they listen to the wrong voice and it's bad? Is, is a story come to mind? 
They're one of the first stories, right? Well, what, what did God say to Adam? You listened to the voice of your wife. Now, in, 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 in Hebrew, um, to listen or to hear, hear, O Israel, Lord your God, hear, just, to us, it, it could mean, I hear what you're saying, it goes in one ear, not the other, right? Um, wise, I'm sure you've had that problem with your husbands when the game's on, right? You know, you've, you've told this whole thing and he don't have a clue what you said. He heard you, but he didn't hear you. So we could translate that listen or obey. Uh, listen, O Israel, or obey, O Israel. The Lord your God is, is one. Um, and so here, Adam is criticized for obeying, that is, listening to the wrong voice. Uh, uh, Lamech, remember, this is a descendant of Cain. Um, he tells his wives to listen to his voice. It's, it's language that picks up right from the, the garden narrative. All right. Um, Genesis 16, Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go to my servant and may obtain children by her. Abraham, notice he's like Adam here. He listened to the wrong voice. Because the voice of God was, just be faithful to your wife and I'll bless you. The voice of his wife is, God has abandoned us. Eat of this tree. right? And we, you remember, we looked at the story. There are a lot of parallels with the Garden of Eden narrative. Um, well, what we see here is, God is telling, um, uh, telling Isaac that um, if you, like your father, will obey, listen to my voice, rather than the voice of the serpent, if you will, you will be blessed. Again, this is a retelling of the Genesis narrative. If Adam and Eve had listened to the voice of God rather than the voice of the serpent, they would have received life in abundance. They would have multiplied, right? Um, and so this is this retelling of this. Well, um, of course, with that said, what is the first thing Isaac does when he gets the promise? He doesn't listen to the voice of God, right? <laughs> I, I mean, it's, 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 it's like raising kids, isn't it? Right? Okay, guys. All right, you ever get to talk before you went into the grocery store when you were kids, right? Your mom and dad, you were down. Okay, kids. Or, or we used to get to talk um, before Thanksgiving, before every Christmas, right? We, we got to talk. We, we tease mom and dad about it now. Now, kids. When you get in here, you ain't going to act like a bunch of hoodlums, right? You know, we, what's the first thing we do? We go in and act like a bunch of hoodlums, right? You know, just tear the place down. And, you know, we go in the grocery store now. We're here to get a few things. We're head out. I'm not going to get you candy. I'm not going to get you junk food and all that. Mom, can we get this? Mom, can we do that? Mom, 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 right? You know, we, we like, I just told you what not to do, right? Here's Isaac. Very clear. If you will dwell in the promised land, yes, as a sojourner, yes, as, as, as an alien, yes, but if you were to just dwell here, I'll bless you. I'll bless you. So you got man and woman in the wilderness that God is going to turn into a garden. If they will simply listen to the voice of God. And they don't. Isaac will listen to the voice of the serpent. And so, like father, like son, he goes and lies about his wife. So verse six, so Isaac said on Gerar, that's a good thing, that's what God wanted. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. A couple things I notice here. Um, one is, um, how does verse seven end for y'all? Mine says attractive in appearance. Y'all have anything else? Beautiful. Beautiful? Uh, you got New American Standard, right? I remember right. Okay. Does anyone have anything other than beautiful or attractive? Fair to look upon. Fair to look upon? Is that King James? It is. Okay. Because I was going to say, that, 
That ain't the message. Uh, uh, Donald, you got the message by chance? Attractive? Okay. <laughs> I figured message say, she was purdy or something like that. I don't know. Um, the Hebrew word here, all of those are perfectly fine translations. But if you want to be literal, the Hebrew word is good. I don't recommend you say that to, to, to your significant others, right? I'm going to show you my good wife here, right? I'm I not sure it, it carries over. But it's the word good. Now, why is that so important? What was the tree of knowledge? Tov and raw, good and bad. So here, what you have is Isaac is a type of serpent here. He's saying here is a tree of knowledge. Remember that Isaac knows his wife physically. But what he's saying to the city, oh, no, 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 just my sister. Just my sister. I don't know her. She's good. She's beautiful. Now, beautiful is a perfectly fine translation. That's what the text is telling us. But it's used in language to, 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 to remind us of, of this. Um, and it's the same word you, that God uses to describe creation, that it was good. But then what does the serpent do is he takes what is good and he turns it into something that is a, a god. The day you eat of it, right, your eyes, eyes will, will, will be opened. Um, well, notice what he says in verse 7, that she is my sister. Now, this is a complete lie. Now, this is one of the differences between the Abraham story. Remember that Sarai, Sarah, was the half-sister of Abraham. You do with that whatever you want, clearly from Kentucky. But, but Rebecca wasn't. I think she would be like a distant relative, but um, I could be wrong on that. But, but he completely lies here. Abraham at least had, you know, some claim to, to the truth. This is a, a complete lie. One thing that sticks out to me is it almost reads as if Isaac is afraid of another Sodom and Gomorrah narrative. Maybe I'm reading into this, and you correct me if, 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 if I am. Read verse 7 again. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister, because he was afraid that they were going to take her. And to do what? Well, to know her. To me, it, it, it rings a little of the Sodom narrative. The men of the city are coming to ask about, in this case, his wife. In Lot's case, it was those men he had. And in fear, he's willing to hand her over to protect himself. This is one of the big problems of this narrative is, is that Rebecca is said to be good, but Isaac isn't good here. He has one job as a husband, one job, right? Keep her safe. And then when the men of the city comes, he is more worried about keeping himself safe rather than his wife. You see how this puts the covenant of God into jeopardy. Abraham did this, made the same mistake. Is, is, is he is handing who he needs for there to be children, right? That, that you would be a father. Well, he's handing her over to other men. So, so it's not just like he made a mistake. Like this is, this is threatening the promises of God. I mean, this is very serious what he does here. And um, um, well, so, so, you know, that... That happens. And then verse 8, the story changes immediately. It makes a real transition. Apparently, no one took Rebecca, right? They're just saying, hey, this girl you brought here in town, what's her story? He's, oh, she's my sister, right? And they, they seem to be interested in her, you know? And, and, but eventually, no one, no one tries to take her. No one tries to violate uh, their, their relationship. Verse 8, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and we talked about the Philistines were there at the time, and, and people have criticized that, but I think archaeology has proven it, looked out of the window, it, it probably a specific window the king would have had access to that, that would allow him to look over uh, everything. 
um, looked out the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Now, mine says laughing. What do y'all say? Caressing. Oh, is there a difference between laughing and caressing? Yeah, yeah I laugh with a lot of people, right? That other word, no, right? I mean, or else I'd, I'd be somewhere else, right? Um, you, you wouldn't put up with it. Any other words y'all have? Fondly. Fond- is that the message? Yeah. My goodness, they're just coming out, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're okay, okay. Huh? Eugene Peter. Showing endearment. Showing endearment. I actually kind of like that. Is that... That King James? It's New King James. Okay. All right. Well, what I did was I looked all these up. So I already kind of knew what some of the options were. Um, Donald is doing it again. I tell you what. Well, um, most translations, the ones I love the most, the ones I like, say caressing. This would be the NIV, uh, New Living Translation, the uh, Christian Standard Bible, that is the Baptist Bible. Um, a new American Standard, and the Net Bible. All of them say, there you go. I don't know if you can read them or not. Um, so, so here you are. You got NIV, New Living, A Christian Standard, Net, and NASB. All of them say caressing. Okay. Um, that is a strong enough word with innuendo without going as far as, as the message with fondling. Right? So, so, so it gets you with an idea of perhaps what the king saw without going... You know, like the, the David Bathsheba sort of thing. ESV says laughing, uh, which is what I'm reading here. King James says sporting with Rebecca. I actually kind of like, like that term. I, I think King James is, is actually on to something there. Um, and by the way, you, you'll notice a new King James, Lonnie mentioned uh, endearment. I'm going to go back to Tyndale. Right? Tyndale 1526, King James 1611. Tyndale is not the earliest English Bible. Tyndale is the most influential of the English Bibles. In fact, when you read your King James, you're really reading, in, in a very real sense, William Tyndale. At least the parts that he, he didn't translate everything he was killed before. He was martyred before he could finish the Bible. But he did all the New Testament, parts of the Ode. I don't think he did Genesis. Uh, but it uses, I know it's weird, and saw Isaac sporting with Rebekah, his wife. Now, you should try reading the whole verse. It, it, it's, it's pretty difficult to read. Um, so the King James is there borrowing from Tyndale. Tyndale is a single individual translating. King James is uh, various committees translating. Committees were assigned portions, the Gospels, the Epistles, the Apocrypha, the uh, literature, the Old Testament, stuff like that. So, um, so they had Tyndale right there with them and, and really borrowed. It's a huge chunk of King James is taken straight from Tyndale. So sporting. So which is it, right? These words are similar, but they're very different. Laughing is not the same as sporting. You would not approve of me sporting with another woman, right? And I'm not quite sure what that word means in that context. But if it was used of a married man with another woman, right, you wouldn't like it, right? You, you have negative context here. So whether it's sporting, um, um, caressing, fondling, uh, those, those, those lean towards innuendo. The Hebrew word... So if you want to know which one of these is most literal, this is where we get literal also has an interpretive challenge to it. The most literal here is the ESV laughing. It's the same word used by Sarah when she laughed at the suggestion that she's going to get pregnant. She laughed. She didn't caress. She wasn't endearing. She wasn't fondling, right? She was laughing. Because God comes around and says, why were you laughing? Well, I'll tell you why I was laughing, right? Because I think it's a joke. I think you're making fun of me. I think you're teasing me. I think, I think you're hurting me. That's why. Either I laugh or I cry, right? It's the word laugh. 
The context suggests more than just making jokes. She finds his dad jokes funny. Whatever it is he sees, he recognizes that is behavior that brother and sister would not be involved with. Rather is behavior that a husband and wife would. This is why caressing is a perfectly fine endearment, sporting, fondling, I think takes it a little too on the interpretive side. But you can see there's more going on here than telling jokes back and forth. But I'm willing to bet the way you joke with your spouse is different than the way you would joke with, with, with someone else. Right? I think I've said it before, my favorite person to make laugh is, is my wife. She does a thing with her nose, and she's not easy to make laugh because she's heard all my jokes. Right? And, but when I can get her to laugh, she's my favorite person. Right? Love making her laugh. Again, she does a thing with the nose. She'll often cover her nose. She does a, a goofy little laugh as well. So, so, I, that's, 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 so I think laugh is, is a good word here, but it carries more than just chuckling. Well, notice what happens. He, he realizes this, they're not brother and sister. So Abimelech called, this is verse 9, Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said, Because I thought lest I die because of her. I want you to notice here that once again in these parallel stories, it is the pagan who is correcting the man of God. That is on purpose. Now, what, what is the blessing? The blessing is, is that Abraham and now Isaac and then Jacob and then all of Israel, through them, the nations will be blessed. But once Isaac and Abraham before him receives the promise, what's the first thing they do? They become a curse upon the nations. They do the complete opposite of what God has, has promised them. Because here, Abimelech says that had, had someone slept with your, your wife because of your lie, you understand the shame and the guilt that would have been upon us? It's your fault. So you have a pagan who worships false gods is having to correct someone who, who, who says that he worshiped the true and living God. And notice that reference he made. Why did he do this? Because lest I die because of her. Again, I may be reading into this, so, so, so correct me if I am. Is this a reference to Eve? Remember, Eve in this reading would, would be, um, remember the thought the, the was, um, the day you eat of it, you will die. His fear is, 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 is if I don't hand her over, I will die. I don't know, I just see some interesting parallels there. I, again, I, I could be wrong. So what does Abimelech do? His pagan king agrees to protect Isaac. And so in verses 10 and 11, he lays it out. Uh, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife. You would have brought guilt upon us. Uh, this is the sort of guilt that would require a, a sacrifice, would have required atonement, and, and, uh, both legally and spiritually. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be, be put to death. So the king protects Isaac when Isaac hears to be a blessing to them. Um, and so uh, one of the things we need to see is that in the ancient world, ancient Eastern world, adultery was... Uh, a, a, a capital offense. Um, now, not always, but it, it could be considered a capital offense. That's foreign to us. So had someone um, uh, taken Rebecca for himself, he now would be subject, though ignorant, he would be subject to capital punishment potentially. Remember, ignorance is not an excuse for violating the law. Uh, the second time I ever got pulled over, 
uh, which was after the Fire and Frenzy Farewell concert, BJ. So you're the only one that's going to know anything that I just said. But after that concert, man and I was late at night. I think we were in the Lexington area, something like that. I was going 55 and a 45. That's not good. The reason I was doing 55 and a 45 is because I didn't know it was a 45. So I got pulled over. I remember because I was clueless, right? Uh, the, the cop pulled up right behind me uh, at a stoplight and, and he lights came on. I thought, I must have a busted tail light. Right? I mean, I was just uh, naive, always am with, with, the, with the police. But, but I'm like, oh, well, that's nice of him to fix my tail light. Didn't know it was out. He's like, you want to tell me why you're, you're speeding in my city, right? I'm like, I, I wasn't. I was doing 55, right? You know, and, and come found out, well, that is not an excuse for violating the law, right? You know, well, just because someone was lied to about the true identity of Rebecca would not free him from the punishment that would have awaited him. So Isaac is endangering the nations when he's called to bless the nations. So Abimelech has to correct him here. And so he says, um, no one is to touch either Isaac or Rebecca. Now, again, maybe I'm reading into this. You can correct me. Um, that word touch sticks out to me because I do see a lot of garden imagery here. That Eve, remember, thought she couldn't touch the fruit. Abimelech comes and he says, clearly, you are not to touch either the man or the woman. It's, 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 I believe it's the same, same Hebrew word. Um, or you will die, right? Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. You shall surely die. Well, what is the point of, of the story, right? It'd be, you can come to it and say, well, it's just repetition. It's not important. Let's just move on. I actually think that is the central point of the story. Um, the point of the narrative is to demonstrate that though Abraham and Isaac are covenantal uh, partners with God, they didn't act like it. In fact, they, they acted the opposite of it. The people of God look no better than the pagans do. And this is why this is so important because it proves once and for all the covenantal promises of God are exclusively the result of grace, not works. If we were to go back to Genesis 11, that is the story of Babel. So once everyone is dispersed, we then hear about a man named Terah from Ur. Ur is right next to Babylon, Babel. We know where Ur is now. It's right there in the region of ancient Babylon. So you get a guy dispersed, if you will, called by God, but he's dispersed from Ur near Babel, and he ends up in the promised land. Now, he has brothers. We meet some of them. He ends up connecting somehow with one of them, or I don't remember how it all goes, right? I get lost with some of the family trees. Why did God choose Abraham and not one of his brothers? No answer to that. That's grace. God in his grace chose to call out Abraham though he didn't deserve it. And then we get the whole narrative of Abraham and, and we want to root for him. He's a man of faith and great patience, waits a long time to have, have his promised child. But he does everything he can to test God, doesn't he? Which proves the covenant is sealed by grace, not works. The same covenant is given to Isaac. Now, Isaac should not be the promised son of Abraham. It should be Ishmael. But God, in his sovereign grace, chose Isaac 
over Ishmael. Chapter 26 makes that very clear. But what does Isaac then turn around to do? The same exact things his father did. What will happen later? The same promise will be given to Jacob. And Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And what will he then go do? He will go and commit the same sins as his father and grandfather. I want you to go ahead and grab, uh, grab your Bibles. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Then, then we'll be done. Romans 9. So, look, so you're not really getting out early after all. Romans 9. Romans 9, uh, verses 6 to 13. And Paul's dealing with this. So in Romans 9 to 11, Paul is addressing Israel. Okay? So how does the gospel apply with all the promises of Israel? And that goes beyond our, our scope here. Uh, verses 6 to 13. It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Well, that's racist. Ain't it? If to be a Hebrew is an ethnic uh, identity, he just said not every Jew is a true son of Jacob. You try saying that on any social media thing with a different ethnic group, and you tell me what the response is. But here he's speaking not ethnically, but theologically. So... um, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So notice what he's saying there, that, that you could be a spiritual offspring of Abraham, though you do not have it in your DNA. Because what is significant about Abraham is not his ethnicity. It is his faith. What sets him apart is not race. It's faith. Which means that when you adopt the faith of Abraham, the covenantal God of the heavens and earth, you then are part of that covenantal story. But even if you have the DNA of Abraham, but reject the covenantal promises of God, and of course we would say his Messiah, Jesus Christ, then though you share the uh, DNA with him, you are not part of the promises of Abraham. This is how the Gentiles come into the story. This is, this is Paul's big argument uh, in general, but particularly in this portion of, of, of Romans. And here's his proof, okay? Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, Isaac has the DNA of Abraham, right? In fact, he has the DNA of, of the promised mother, Sarah, right? Well, this means, he says in verse 8, that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Why? Now, he is the child of the promise, but he isn't the firstborn. Like Ishmael is hanging out right there. Why did God choose Isaac over Ishmael? So he goes on, um, verse 9. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Notice it's Sarah, not Hagar. And verse 10, not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, here, here's the key, 
The older will serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Now we are not gonna deal with God hating someone, okay? We'll just cross that bridge in another time. But notice there that God in his own sovereign care of the covenantal promise chose the infertile woman's son over the older son of Abraham, the son of the slave, Hagar. And the narrative bears that out. And so Ishmael then is exiled. It's the, it's the reverse of the Exodus narrative. So you have an Egyptian that is sent from Canaan back to Egypt, exiled, right? The slave girl is sent from Canaan. Later, the opposite, the, the slave Jews will be sent out of Egypt, right? Um, instead, God's promises are made to Isaac. Why did God choose Isaac over Ishmael? Later, as Paul argues here in Romans 9, as we saw, why did God choose Jacob over Esau? Because God did. The text says it isn't because of anything good or bad in them. In fact, as we see in our text in Genesis 26, it's despite the bad that is in them. Abraham is as pagan as anyone else when he's called. Abraham is just as guilty of sin as anyone else whenever he receives the promise. Isaac is as guilty as anyone else whenever he receives the promise. But the promise is made based exclusively upon faith that has the benefit of grace, not works. Because had the promise been conditional, if you do this and you're perfect and you keep all the rules, then I'll bless you with land and lineage. Rather, it's, I know you're going to fail me, but I will keep my promises nonetheless. So when Isaac, and like Abraham before him, goes into the town and threatens the well-being of their wives, God is there to protect the promise. Now, he does it through pagans, but God achieves it nonetheless. So here is an Old Testament theological foundation for the doctrine of by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. The promises of God are found in faith alone, by the grace of God alone, not through works. And that is good news for you and me, that our hope of redemption, our hope of our identity in Christ is not rooted in what we did before coming to faith or after we've come to faith. It's rooted in the fact that we have come to faith. That's the beauty of the passage. And that is why you get so much repetition. Mankind keeps doing this. So too, God's grace keeps doing the same thing. He loves to heal broken people. All right. Danny's not here to correct me on anything. So we'll end it there. How about that? Um, what a great text. Great text. Point